The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met Rachmi. I am so excited for today's episode with Vienna. She is awesome. I've been following her on Instagram for a long time. So if you're looking for a very knowledgeable marriage and family therapist to follow, you should definitely check her Instagram out. It is in the show notes. And she was just really cool. It was really nice to chat with her. And I think you guys are going to get a lot from her wisdom and the things that she shares with us on this episode. Before we get into it, um, I asked you guys to submit some topics or questions. And to my surprise, a lot of you want to know about new mom life. So I'm happy to share. It was, it was, it is uh, crazy. I can't believe it. I feel like we are in this bubble, um, mostly because I'm not really leaving the house except to like go on post office runs or things like that. But it's been really crazy. I have right now I'm feeding him every three hours. So I was joking today that I feel like Cinderella, like when the clock strikes midnight, I have to be home to feed him. Um, But more so like if I go out to dinner with a girlfriend, I only have so long before I have to come back and feed, which is actually really nice. I know a lot of people have mixed feelings on breastfeeding and things like that. And I just feel really lucky that my experience has been good so far. I have no idea, you know, how it's going to go in the future, but this is just right this moment. And yeah, I'm just really loving getting to know this new human in my life who I feel like his personality is coming out more and more. And he's still so little, like I can't get enough of him. I feel like he's a little squirmy worm and he's just so cute. Like I'm just obsessed with him. And I was really grateful to hear your feedback from my sharing the birth story on the last episode. You know, I mentioned like I'm not going to make this into something where I'm always talking about being a mom or parenting or, you know, turning into a mommy blogger. But of course, I guess it'd be silly if I just didn't talk about this huge change at all, because it is really crazy. Um, You know, someone asked, how are you balancing cooking, eating and baby? It's not easy. I have, it's, it's funny. I never thought I would have any energy to cook in postpartum, but it has really relaxed me to do something with my hands. And because I'm spending so much time at home, it's, it's really nice. I mean, I have a lot more time, like downtime than I thought I would. I I attribute a lot of that to our baby nurse and like Steven and, and the baby nurse and I like kind of tag teaming the whole parenting thing right now. And it feels really good to cook because I'm not, I'm definitely not being healthy. Like I'm just listening to my body right now and I've never been more ravenous because I'm like feeding him all the time. So I need to feed myself all the time. And it's just like a a continuous cycle, but it's, it's been really nice to cook. It's been really nice to just be with him. I mean, I'm sleeping, like hardly sleeping uh, at all, but I weirdly feel okay about it. I'm sure it'll catch up to me and I'll start losing my mind soon. But that's how I'm feeling. I just, as I mentioned in the last podcast, I feel really grateful because I have struggled 
with depression. I have struggled with just not feeling good emotionally. So for me to feel good right now, especially when I don't physically feel like I look good, um, just, you know, feeling mentally good is like a huge, huge win for me. And I haven't really been able to like self-care in the way that I would like to, especially because when you have a C-section, you're not supposed to have a massage for six weeks. Like you're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to do that. Um, I can't really buy anything because nothing fits me, but in my own way, like cooking and just spending time at home and not trying to rush anything is self-care. So that's been really nice. And that's my update on how I've been feeling. Now, since it is February 11th and we're not going to speak in between now and Valentine's Day, we are going to have to get to your Valentine's Day questions. So I feel like we answer, I answer this question every year about getting guys Valentine's Day gifts and it's always the same answer. You don't need to get a man a Valentine's Day gift. A man is fine with a candy or a chocolate of their choosing and that's good enough. I just feel like Valentine's Day is not a man's holiday. It's a holiday that's literally just designed for women and for men to buy us gifts. So I'm not saying get him absolutely nothing. You can get like a card and a chocolate and whatever, but like you don't need to get him the equivalent of like a necklace. You don't need to get him a new sweater. Like it's, it's not that deep. It's just like a Hallmark holiday. Someone asked Valentine's Day expectations for not being official yet. Honestly, all things Valentine's Day etiquette. I think if you're not official yet, oh, wait, hold on. We have, he's crying. Okay, as we were, if you are not official yet, you can't really have any expectations for Valentine's Day. I mean, you should never have any expectations anyway because expectations lead to disappointment. But don't have any expectations. However, if they don't do anything, like if they're not acknowledging this, then they are sending you a very loud and clear message. And that message is, I'm very aware it's Valentine's Day and I'm purposely not acknowledging it because I will never make it official with you. And you need to receive that message loud and clear because I'm telling you, I think Stephen and I had been dating for not even like three weeks when it when it was Valentine's Day and he showed up at my door and we weren't even going to be together on Valentine's Day. We were both traveling. And so he showed up at my door like three days earlier with chocolates and flowers. And like, that's, that's what they should do. They need to acknowledge it in some way. They need to, because that shows you that they want to make it official with you. And if they don't acknowledge it, they know exactly what they're doing. You need to know this. They know exactly what they're doing. Also, this is the last thing I'll say about Valentine's Day. If you are official, it doesn't really matter who makes the dinner reservation. And of course it matters, you know, that they should get you flowers and this and that, but it doesn't matter who makes the reservation. If you're more of the planner and there's a restaurant that you want to snatch up and this guy that you're with is not going to, you know, do it in time and he's less of a planner, like snatch that reservation. It 
doesn't mean that they're not going to pay for it. It doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that. Like that is setting them up to win. Being like, I made us a great reservation and they're going to be like, amazing. I'm so happy you did that. Can't wait to take you out. You're my Valentine. I'll do the flowers. I'll pay for it. But you know what I mean? Like you don't have to do absolutely nothing and just sit on your little, you know, throne and expecting this and that. Like we can contribute a little bit, especially if we're official at that point. Anyway, I want you to listen to Vienna. So I'm going to stop there and I hope everyone has a good Valentine's Day, whether you're in a relationship or not. I hope you come to our event, which is the day before Valentine's Day on the 13th. It's going to be so much fun with Tony P at Elvez. And I can't wait to see you. Um, Actually, I don't know if I'm going to go, but I hope that you go and I hope that you meet someone and then maybe the next day you'll already be celebrating Valentine's Day. So I am excited to hear your thoughts on this episode. And without further ado. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I'm so excited to be here with marriage and family therapist and the author of The Origins of You, Vienna Farron. Hi. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Before we get into anything, Vienna, what is your favorite romantic gesture? Mm, Anything that is just a like thoughtful moment that has is not attached to anything else. Like I thought of you and brought this small thing back for you. I think just those moments of you were in my mind when just like randomly throughout Mm -hmm. the day or the week or the month are so meaningful. And I think like years in, you can forget about that because you just are in your routine. Yeah. So I really appreciate those moments when there's just like a thoughtful consideration, small, small stuff. I love that too. I feel like every time I go like grocery shopping, for mm-hmm. example, I'm like, what's something that I can get that is like so small and yeah. silly, like a little candy right. that I know my husband will be like so excited about. Yeah. And then like I'll come home or when he gets home, I'll be like, there's surprises, like look for them. <laughs> That's cute. I don't know if I'll keep doing it <laughs> after we have kids. You might get a little tired. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. maybe I'll, but we'll see. I love that. And what is your current relationship status? Married to a wonderful partner, Connor. We've been together now for about seven and a half years. How did you guys meet? We met through a mutual best friend. I was out in Vancouver actually speaking. And uh, yeah, there's like a little bit of a backstory to it because we had crossed paths prior, but he was speaking at the same conference ultimately that I was speaking at. And yeah, like... It was long distance. I was in New York. He was in Vancouver, but he could for work. He would fly back and forth every couple of weeks and stay here for about 10 days to 14 days each time. And then eventually got him to come to the East Coast. Uh, He always is trying to get me back to Vancouver. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, I mean, the full long, long distance courtship for for a while. That's no joke. Yeah. Yeah, that's really tough. And is he in is he also a therapist? He's in this area. He works with men. He runs a men's mental health organization called Man Talks. And yeah, he does deep like Jungian shadow work. Mm-hmm. He does. He's really one of the most beautiful practitioners I've ever seen work, especially with men. And so, yeah, in deep admiration of the work that he does. But it's uh, people are always like, oh, I wonder what it's like to be at home with the two right. of you. Like, are you constantly, you know, analyzing each other? And, you know, we're not. But I think to be in a relationship where there's a sense of 
introspection and reflection. And, you know, we know each other's stories so well. Mm-hmm. And we know each other's families, like the way that both of us grew up and the things that were painful for us. And I think we do such a beautiful job holding those stories, like our history, each other's history, as we move through life, you know, present day. And I find that to be so important in relationships where it's like, yeah, like I know your history. And I think of you at times as like a little human who was going through, you know, a family system that had its flaws to it. And I can keep that in mind, especially when like through hardship, I think the easy times are like, great, we're enjoying each other. This is easy. This is fun. But when there's conflict or when there's you know some type of friction, you know, to be able to remember that we have a history and it's complicated and it has layers to it. And so I'm not just thinking about the person who's front of, in front of me right now. I'm thinking about you know your entire history and what's playing out in this moment from before you know, that's, yeah, there's beautiful work that happens there. Totally. And something I actually wanted to ask you about, especially, so you are parents yeah. of a three-year-old. Yeah. And I read this article recently, I think it was in The Cut, about gentle parenting mm-hmm. and kind of like what's better, right? Like mm-hmm. the way that we were parented, and obviously I'm generalizing, but right. are you a millennial? Do you consider yourself yeah, a millennial? I'm, I'm how old am I now? I'm 38. Okay, yeah. so same. I'm not 38. <laughs> I have to count, but, but, but I'm like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, my yeah. age now. But I'm, but I'm in the same like, <laughs> yeah. range of millennial. Yeah. And I feel like there's, you know, there's just so many jokes online about like how we were parents, like how our parents were just like, deal with it. Like mm-hmm. we're going to this, like, you know, it is what it is. Stop right. crying, whatever. And now I see all of these like let your like, you know, if your kid is crying, they're not trying to manipulate you. Mm-hmm. They really need something. Be gentle. Just all of this stuff mm-hmm. I'm absorbing because I'm about to be a parent myself. Yeah. And I saw this article and it basically was saying gentle parenting is maybe not so great. Mm. Do you have any thoughts on that? And, you know, obviously working with parents Mm -hmm. and families and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I think anything in its extreme is probably, yeah, it's probably too much, too much leaning, you know, in one direction. And I also think it's probably something that's hard to keep up at all times in every moment. I think there's beautiful parts to gentle parenting, of course, that allow for, you know, the full expression of emotion and, you know, being able to tolerate that as the adult in the relationship. And I also know that, you know, as a parent myself, there's a limit to it. You know, there's only so far and bless the people who can do it, you know, 24 seven. But there is like a point in time where I do think that, you know, sometimes and that doesn't have to mean like harsh parenting, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's not the opposite of it isn't harshness. But I think there's Yeah, like I think it can lean sometimes too far in that direction if we don't have boundaries with it, you know, if there's if there's no consequence. And so, yeah, I think it's finding some type of middle ground there. But I do think seeing our children as like whole individuals who are not necessarily just fitting into our lives is really important. Like we are collaborating together, right? I'm learning how to fit into your life. You're learning how to fit into my life. And I'm trying to hold this space to understand the full, like complex individual who is in front of me, even though you've only been around for a short amount of time. And I get asked the question so often, you know, like, Oh, I especially after people read my book and they're like, I'm going to wound my children, you know, like, like, is there a way to avoid that? And 
there isn't. I think there's a way to try to protect our children from the big traumatic stuff and to do our best to be you know, vigilant and looking out for those things. But at the end of the day, we're humans who are going to be imperfect, who are going to disappoint and say the wrong thing, get something r- wrong from time to time. And obviously we want to minimize that as much as possible. But what I find to be really important is not the absence of challenge or hardship or you know, even if we get upset with a child in in a moment right, where we are a bit more reactive than we'd like to be, it's a race to repair as parents, right? So it's not like, oh my gosh, I'll never not be gentle. I have to be gentle at all moments. Like we are going to be human. I really believe that. I think it's important. I think it's also important that our children don't grow up in a vacuum, right? Where there's like no challenge whatsoever and no hardship whatsoever for them to learn that it's okay to get through a hard thing together. I think that's the beauty of the parent-child relationship is to get through hard things together, to see that that person is on the other side of this moment where we get upset with them or they've drawn on the walls that we've just painted, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I think it's this idea of getting to a place of ownership and accountability as quickly as possible. I don't work with kids, but I work with adults who have all been kids before. And, you know, one of the things that I hear time and time again is how much People just wish that a parent could acknowledge something. We don't have to go back. We don't have to change what happened, right? We know that we can't, but I just want to have an acknowledgement or an ownership, right? That there's such a release there. And I think, you know, to be parents and, you know, the the new ones out there, right? With, with the littles, it's like, you know, we have to be able to hold ourselves up in high enough regard as adults, in order to be able to say, I'm sorry, or let me take accountability for that, because otherwise we enter into a shame spiral where we have to self-protect instead of relationally protect, right? Instead of being able to understand the experience of our child, right? I'm having to protect the shame that I'm going through right now or the embarrassment that I'm feeling. And when we're doing self-protection, we can't do relational protection. That's really interesting. I never thought about it like that, but that's such a good point. Like, Because I've experienced that even in my relationship with my husband, like when I feel bad that I did something that he's calling me out for, like I'm reacting to the fact that I'm mad at myself, Mm -hmm. not the fact that I upset him. Oh, totally. And that's I mean, I work with couples a lot and this idea of feedback you know, is is a really important one because we have to be able to tolerate feedback in our relationships, right? We have to be able to withstand that. that otherwise, we're not going to grow very much and we're not going to get very far. But feedback is often coded as criticism, right? And it's something that we can very quickly move into a shame spiral or guilt or embarrassment. And, you know, this practice of being able to still see ourselves as worthy valuable human beings who maybe did do something that was hurtful or disrespectful to someone else. But I can like hold myself up so that I can actually hear you because if I'm not holding myself up, then I have to self-protect. And there's just, it's just something that creates disconnection in our relationships, whether it's children, whether it's a partner, whether it's a friend, whomever, but it's like, it's a disconnector as opposed to being a connector. And I think it's one of the skill sets, you know, that's, it really is emotional maturity, right? to like get to a place where I can hear your feedback and still think nicely of myself, right? Mm -hmm. Like I can still say like, oh yeah, shoot, I did do that. And I want to hear about you and I want to tune into your experience instead of needing to tune into my own. It's hard work. 
but it's yeah. a really beautiful goal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think we can all work on that more, myself definitely included. Last episode, I spoke a little bit about my emotional state and how I feel like what has helped me feel good still, regardless of all my new hormonal changes, is therapy. And therapy has truly changed my life. Being able to talk to someone when I'm not doing well, when I can feel myself starting to get triggered by things or whatever it is, having a therapist has been a guiding light for me. It has really changed things because therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in really difficult times and really just change your perspective on so much. Talkspace makes therapists makes therapy so easy and affordable because with Talkspace, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It is so convenient. Every time you're having a thought or a feeling, you can message your therapist and you don't have to wait until the next appointment. You can just talk right then and there, which I know is so helpful for me because I forget things and then I'll you know, go to a session and I won't really know what to talk about. But with Talkspace, you can immediately message them and they have bank grade encryption technology so that your information is private, which is really necessary. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Acme. To match with a licensed professional therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Acme to get $80 off of your first month and show your support for the show. That's Talkspace.com slash Acme. Hi, I'm Dr. Will Cole. As a leading functional medicine practitioner, I have had the unique position to see so many alchemize their pain and health problems to their purpose. Now I want the same for you. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers, where there is a fresh infusion of grace and lightness into wellness. This is the art of being well. Join me every Thursday for a new episode. I have heard, obviously, just because you weren't parented perfectly doesn't mean you're now all of a sudden going to be the perfect parent. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, you said this too, like we're human, we're all going to mess up. The goal is to maybe mess up a little less than our parents and so on and so forth. But when we have these, you know, family patterns, like for example, as we're going into the idea of being parents, like something my husband and I talk about all the time is that we want to talk to our kids like adults, like mm-hmm. f- from as early as possible. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if like you hear this and you roll your eyes because you're like, just wait, you know, <laughs> but I feel like if my kid is crying instead of me like, oh, it'll be me like, it's OK, mm-hmm. I'm going to be like, what's making you sad, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't know. Or just like, I don't even know if this is an actual memory from my family growing up or if I'm like just making this up. But like, let's say I was crying and then my parents would be like, you're fine. Like you're, you know, so it's like finding that medium of like, what is making you upset versus you're fine or 
oh, it's okay. Right. You're God, I'm going to protect you. Like, yeah, no it's like when it you is. first started speaking, I was like, oh, I wonder if your experience as a kiddo was, you know, maybe feeling a little bit more invalidated or there wasn't space for it. Oh, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Which we understand why parents used to say something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. It like eliminates the space for us to feel like we're checked in on, right? To feel like somebody actually cares about what is happening inside of my body right now. And so this part of you that's wanting to, yeah, correct that because as a kid, like you, I know you said, maybe I, I don't know if I have this memory for sure or not, but right, there's some sense there that you didn't necessarily feel like there was an opening for your full expression of your emotion or that the par- the your parents or the adults in your life were really able to like tolerate the emotion that was there or even know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if that resonates with you, but I think for so many people, it's like you grow up in a family system where, yeah, we ha- of course we have emotion, right? Of course we have a wide range of feelings. And if we don't have adult figures in our lives who know how to hold that and meet that, right? Without having to tamper with it, right? Without having to minimize it or maximize it or distort it in any way, then we don't feel like it's safe for us to bring it forward. And then maybe we become parents ourselves and we're like, okay, I'm going to make sure that there is absolutely room for you to have whatever emotions you're feeling, which sounds like a really beautiful shift, but I think it's great and important to understand like why we want to make those changes, right? Because sometimes the 180 is fantastic. And sometimes the 180 is like in opposition to something that our parents did that isn't necessarily integrated. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really interesting. What are your thoughts on talking to a child like an adult? I mean, I, and I don't even know that it, the way that you described it didn't even really sound like talking to an adult. It was mm-hmm. like, yeah, like, tell me about what you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that that's beautiful. I think that that kids re- do respond to that. And, you know, it, I think we don't necessarily name what it is we think that they're experiencing, but I do that with my son, right? And like, okay, sure. Like, tell me what you're feeling right now. Mm-hmm. I want to hear about it. Yeah. You know, and it's like that becomes the way that we engage, even though, of course, like they might not be able to engage with us that way from the get go. Like you might be talking to your newborn who's right. not going to be saying much right. back to you, but you are still creating a framework with them that says, I'm curious, I'm interested, I want to hear about this, and I can tolerate what it is that you're going to share with me. Right. Like yeah. I can withstand it. Your sadness is not going to destroy me. Right. Mm-hmm. Like your anger, your frustration isn't going to disrupt me in such a significant way that I can't be present for you. Right. 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 And I think there's also like, you know, I have friends whose parents maybe were like too open about like mm-hmm. when they were going through hard times or things yeah. like that. Right. But then I also have friends. I actually have these two little girls in my life. They're so great. Oh. And I love their parents. And they are so advanced. Like they mm-hmm. just, they can talk about politics. They're 10 and 13. Wow. Like they just, they can really go there. And we always ask their parents, like, how did, how did this happen? Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, we just like explain things to mm-hmm. them. Like when we're talking to each other and they're like, what are you talking about? We will explain it yeah. to them instead of being like, oh, you don't need to think about that. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I definitely wish Mm -hmm. that I had more of growing up because I feel like 
I went to school and I had no idea what yeah. was going. I had no idea like really who was president, you know, like <laughs> I didn't know any of this, that stuff. And I feel like parents are so afraid mm -hmm. to like go there with their kids. Cause they're like, I don't want to like put them, like make them depressed or, mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to this, but I feel like you'd be more depressed if you didn't know anything that was going on in the world. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it hit you like, through something else. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, that framework of I want you to trust and know that we can go through hard things together, yeah. right, as parent child. So, if, mm -hmm. yeah, if there is something really hard that's happening in the world right now. And yeah, like it's age appropriate, right? Then we're going to move through this together. And obviously, we also want to protect you know, their innocence at different points, uh, depending on their age and allow them to be in the playfulness, right? And not have them necessarily grow up too quickly or feel like they have to be an adult when they're actually a child. But I think that there's something really beautiful that you're describing, which is just like, I see you as a whole human, right? And yeah, I'm going to choose which things I think are age appropriate for you to understand and learn about. And maybe that's going to be a wider, you know, cast net for you than, than, maybe what your parents offered to you when you reflect back like I could have handled more of this and I in fact would have really liked to know more stuff and I think that approach feels like a very thoughtful and considerate one as you enter into this this new chapter and stage and you're going to just like learn so much on the job totally <laughs> I know I feel like, like we have ideas like, before they come and uh -huh. then you like figure it out as right as they're here. I'm sure like most things will go out the window <laughs> I'd love to pivot a little bit just to talking about relationships and one question that came up which I love is what are some good habits to create early on in marriage mm, yeah I mean I think appreciation and gratitude as like basic as it might sound is one of the things that just has to be a part of the conversation. It's so easy. I've worked with a lot of people at this point. I've seen a lot of been in a lot of hours of therapy and you know the amount of people who get to a place of resentment in their relationships over the years is really high. And there's like lots of like disconnection that happens. And I think one of the reasons that we arrive there is because we don't acknowledge each other anymore. We don't see each other, right? We don't appreciate each other. We take a lot of the things that happen in the day to day for granted. And so I think a very simple practice is being in deep acknowledgement of our partners and asking for that in return all of us as humans, like to be seen, to be heard, to be understood, like it's so powerful. You know, it's not like, I, again, I know it sounds a little basic and maybe even corny to some, but there's a reason why we say this, right? It's like, there's a reason why, okay, seen, heard, understood, seen, heard, understood, right? Because it like actually matters because it actually is meaningful for us as individuals to be witnessed by someone else and to feel that we are making an impression on them for the things that we do. And you know, when you're with somebody for an extended period of time and you're not just in that honeymoon phase and the early parts, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Like constantly in that space, right? It's like, yeah, the little stuff we just forget about. It's like, oh, well, we have to do that. Well, we don't have to do that, right? We do it because maybe it's our routine and it's the way that we like things and this is how we operate in the world. But a sense of acknowledgement, I think, is a really important thing to practice I would say maybe twice a year, my partner and I, we sit down and we just sort of take a 
take a pulse check on the relationship. We do it for our careers as well, where it's like, where do we want to grow? What feedback do you have for me? And I think there's something, you know, as we were saying before, this idea of creating space for feedback. How am I as a partner to you? Ugh. Like that's a hard question to ask, but if you're brave enough to do it and you have a partner who's willing to share, you know, honestly and openly, I think there's a beautiful opportunity for growth there. And so brave practice that I'd say is asking that question, like, how have I been as a partner to you? And, you know, maybe that's something that we do, yeah, like once a month. Or, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't have to be a daily thing you know, that will be moving all around on the spectrum. But yeah, like how have I been as a partner this past month? Like I want to hear what it's been like for you to be with me. And what if the other person is just like, you've been great. Yeah. Then what? Like and they truly mean that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, so maybe we can accept that if it does feel like we've been showing up as a good partner. I think it's hard to accept that as truth if we know that we haven't. And I think sometimes we're like, I want you to dig in, like, tell me how you really feel. Give me the like real stuff. And if we have people who are, you know, like a people pleaser or someone who struggles to disappoint another or someone who, you know, I was this person, I was a I'm fine person for decades of my life. And so this idea of being able to say, yeah, like I'm not fine or this is not feeling good was a deep, deep, deep threat to me and my relationships. And so this is a beautiful question because I think a lot of people can probably resonate with either being the person who struggles to say, actually, this isn't going well for me and I didn't like how you treated me this month or it didn't like what went down a couple weeks ago. Or if we're on the other side where we know that we're behaving in such a way that isn't a plus, but we have a partner who is, you know, protecting something and not able to actually share that. Like this is a inquiry for the individual who needs to express the thing. And I think that question of what blocks us from being able to share honestly and openly is going to point us to something that's really important to us. And like I was saying before, for me, I was an individual who, you know, moved through life just kind of flying under the radar, pretending like I was fine. I grew up in a my parents went through a nine year divorce process when I was in first grade. I'm an only child. And so I was this tiny little human in a family system that was really crashing and burning around me. And there was just a lot of like gaslighting and manipulation and psychological abuse and paranoia and just like high, 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 high conflict constantly. And so as a little human, I decided that I was going to be fine and I was going to be okay. And I wasn't going to need anything because when I looked around, I saw the adults in my life crashing and burning. And so it was my, from my point of view, I didn't believe that there was room for me to not be fine. And I share this story because I think not that everybody's story is going to be my story. It's our, that's the inquiry is what is your story when it comes to being able to share truthfully and honestly, because I was really scared. You know, obviously that was me as a little girl, but I turned into an adult woman who also pretended to be fine and unaffected by things. And I, you know, was like the persona was I was the cool girl and down for whatever and like, yeah, no worries. And, you know, deeply boundaryless. But the threat, right, the thing that I was so afraid of having happen was that if I said I wasn't okay, relationships were going to end, right, that there it, it would break it. This idea from being a tiny little girl in the system that's like, oh, they're not okay. And if I'm not okay, 
it's going to get worse. And then you fast forward. And it's like, okay, if I'm not okay, relationships are going to end or people are not going to want to be with me. And it doesn't have to be a rational thing. It's rarely a rational thing. But I, I held that as a really deep belief that there wasn't room for me to share that I wasn't okay or I was bothered by things. I would always say, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And so if anybody resonates with this, I would say to inquire about what the it's fine is trying to protect. Mm-hmm. Our behavior is constantly protecting us from something. We make sense in context. Our behavior makes sense in context. That's what's so beautiful about this is that you know our self-protective ways are like they've been so helpful in our lives. But as adults, right, we get to a place where the protection and the survival that we learned from so long ago generally is going to block us from something that we actually need at this point in our lives. Expansion growth, communication with a partner. And so, yeah, that question's an important one, but it relies on the person who's saying, it's fine, I'm fine, it's great, when we know that something's off. And granted, sometimes it might be fine, right? So we'll, we'll take that in the one-off moments, but it, it requires that person to inquire about what that is protecting you know, within them. So whether you're a people pleaser or, you know, you're someone who has to avoid hurting or letting down others or disappointing people because you grew up in a family where, you know, if you felt pressure to keep mom happy all the time, you know, or whatever it was, right? the endless stories, um, it's going to be something that eliminates a person's ability to share freely Mm -hmm. and trust that I can share this and it can be okay at the end. Like to me at the end of the day, like that's what's there is a block that says, I don't believe not necessarily because of you, because it can very much be historical, but I don't believe that I can share that something is not okay in this moment and that we can see our way through it or I can see my way through it. But how far into your relationship with your husband, let's just use this relationship yeah. as an example. Were you able to say, I'm not fine, actually? You know what I mean? Like it doesn't, it's not something that you yeah. immediately do, especially right. if it's something that from your childhood is like a pattern, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I had resolved this before, for the most part, before I had met him. I had a relationship prior to him uh, that was in my like mid late 20s where I thought I was going to be with this person. And a couple months in, it was a really intense relationship. So when I say a couple months in, like we were deep in at that point. It wasn't like New York City dating, like a couple months in where you're like, I've been on two dates with this person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was like (laughs) much deeper than that. And his ex came back into the picture and she wanted to be back with him. And he was contemplating whether or not he wanted to be back in the relationship with her. He was going to stay in the relationship with me and cue it up immediately. I'm like, totally understand. Like, this must be so hard for you. Right. I know. It's like every time I share this story, I feel like the full cringe Uh comes on. But like I go into this place and that's it's both me as the little girl, the individual I was just telling you. And then also me as therapist who's like context and like there's a story and you're going through hard stuff, too. And you merge those two identities and roles together. And this is what you get. Right. Is me saying I get that this is really hard, like totally understand, take all the time you want, blah, blah, blah. You need to spend time with her. Go for it. I'm fine. Blah, 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 blah. Right. And I'm having a conversation with a friend about it. And it all clicks in for me at the moment. 
where I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the role, right? Like that's the same role that I took on as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I remember finally having a conversation with the the guy I was dating at the time where I just said, I'm going to, I'm removing myself from, you know, this situation. I'm actually not okay with what's happening. And I feel disrespected. And I feel like a lot of boundaries are being crossed and they mm-hmm. were like, I'm not okay with what's going on here. And it was the last time that we ever spoke And, you know, this was not a mic drop moment. I didn't feel deeply empowered afterwards. There were a lot of tears afterwards, but it was a life changing moment for me. I think for anyone who's ever struggled to say, I'm not okay, I'm not fine. And then to finally be able to say those words out loud, that is significant. It was profound for me. uh, And that's not hyperbolic. Like that, it was a deeply profound moment for me. From that point on, I don't think I ever really turned back. You know, I think at that point it was like, oh, wow, like I've been living this way for decades and it has robbed me of something really significant, right? Like my voice, my my boundaries, my ability to share my preferences. I like had zero preferences. I'm cool. I'm fine. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Like there was there was no pulse check on anything. And I think the moment that I kind of got off that track and created a new track for myself and survived it and was like, oh, like, I'm okay. Everybody's still here. You know, like, sure, the relationship ended, but all is okay in the world. You know, that gave me a sense of, I guess, eventually a sense of empowerment. Mm-hmm. And so that part has not shown up in my relationship, in my marriage, where I do feel confident to be able to express it. But I also have a partner who's able to hear it. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I have somebody who can actually receive feedback and who can hear when I'm upset even if I'm upset at him, not just upset at something that has, doesn't have anything to do with him. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's huge. What about the best ways to repair after you've had a fight with your significant other? So like, obviously we talked about having these check-in conversations. That's yeah. not a fight. That's like a discussion, yes. but fights happen mm-hmm. and repairing after I feel like is more telling than mm-hmm. the fight itself almost. And yeah. like how you kind of move on from it together yeah. Is there, obviously it's not like a one size fits all, but is there something that you share with your patients on just like how to best repair things? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The same way that I was saying about it with the kids before, it's like when we're in conflict with a partner, we tend to race to be right. We tend to race to prove our point or like who can get there first, right? As opposed to a race to actually repair, a race to like, I'm going to be the first person to actually hear your experience or your perspective. And yeah, it's challenging when we're heightened. I think a lot of the stuff that we do around conflict doesn't tend to happen in the moment. It often happens in the after moments because once we're escalated and up there, we've kind of lost the thread and it's hard to come back. So we need a little bit of time apart. I'll share a personal story. This was before Connor and I were married. We were dating at the time and we were in a conflict and I have no clue what we were fighting about, but I do know that I was like proving my point and like doubling down and tripling down. I couldn't stop. And he's like, I got it. I understand what you're saying. And I'm like going and going and going and going. And again, he's like, I got it. I got it. And I'm having an out of body experience where I'm just like, oh my God, stop talking, Vienna, like enough. He's saying he's got it and I can't. And then eventually I stop and a little bit of shame comes in and I'm like a little disgusted and embarrassed. And like, I wonder if he's going to want to be with me type of thing. And 
And then I move out of shame. And I, I think that this is one of the first things that I'll say is to replace our shame or our embarrassment with curiosity as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. That's what I did. I got really curious about what proving my point or needing to be right was trying to protect me from. And I had previously shared a little bit about growing up. I had a dad who was manipulative and a gaslighter and was really psychologically abusive towards my mom, not directed at me, but I observed it. I watched it a lot. He was really quick with his words. He could flip things around. And it was really crazy making for her, quite literally. And so as a tiny human watching this, I decided that being right was safety and that being wrong was unsafe. Like I just watched it play out over and over. It's like power and control over here. If you're right, you're safe. And if you can't follow and you can't remember things properly and you you lose the thread, like it's unsafe for you. That's what I saw play out over and over and over again. And so I became an individual who walked through life needing to be right because that was my way of protecting myself. It was my way of creating safety for myself. When I followed that trail down into my family of origin, it was like, oh, okay, this this makes sense. Of course, when I'm in conflict, I go to this place where I need to be right and I need to prove my point because I'm just trying to be safe. I'm just trying to feel safe in this moment. Now, it's not an excuse. I always say like context is not an invitation for excuse, but it's so helpful for us to understand because I was then able to share that story with my partner and say, like, I want to take accountability here. And that I think is really important in conflict too, is for us to see our part in the dance, right? So we're so good at seeing the other person's part, always. I see exactly what you did. You got defensive and you did this and da 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 To be able to see our part, but I had to I had to go to curiosity first. And I think there's something that happens when we go down a path of curiosity is where a little bit of compassion for ourselves comes in. Because again, if we are remaining self-protective, then I need to protect me and not protect the relationship at all. Then I need to defend my position, right? As opposed to holding myself with compassion, which is like, oh my gosh, I was a little girl who watched this go down all the time. No wonder I operate in the world this way. That gave me compassion for myself instead of disgust that I was this adult woman who was operating this way. And so I think when we can find a moment of compassion for ourselves, as well as for our partners, right? They were tiny humans in a complicated family system as well, and their behavior makes sense in context as too, right? Then we start to be able to bring a much fuller picture and fuller story forward for one another. Because conflict, you know, it's like <laughs> some people might be listening and be like, that's a lot of work or just a towel on the bed, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? but it isn't, you know, it's like all of these things, even if they feel like these micro moments, like, but I've told you 50,000 times, don't do this. Mm-hmm. I can't stand it. Why do you keep doing this? This yeah. is your fault, right? It's like all of this stuff, though, really is tied to things that are historical for us. And if we're ever going to find ourselves out the other side in a different way, because the reality of it is, is if you're having the same conflict over and over and over again, you obviously haven't changed something, right? right? Like something is still unresolved. I always say that our unwanted patterns are pain's way of grabbing for our attention, right? It's like, so you have unwanted patterns in your life. Do you have a conflict that you keep, that's reoccurring? It's an arrow that is pointing to something that is unresolved that needs your attention. And so that's the curiosity comes forward, the ability to take ownership and accountability, 
to remind yourself that if you're seeing yourself as a tiny little human, you also need to see the other person as a tiny little human as well and to understand the context as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And then, we, yeah, I mean, ultimately, we have to get to a place where adult to adult, you know, sure, this was beautiful information for me to understand about myself. And it was beautiful information for Connor to understand, too. But ultimately, I can't just go around proving my point and needing to be right forever. Right. And, you know, trust that this relationship is going to be fine. And so, yeah, there has to be a shift in behavior. But I would say for starters, you know, curiosity needs to replace shame and guilt and embarrassment to really connect to what the behavior is trying to protect. So if you're the person who put the towel on the bed again for the, you know, 50th time, even though your partner is asked you, it's like, are you doing that behavior because you don't, you're trying to protect yourself from being controlled and that you grew up in a controlling household, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. we have to get really curious because otherwise it doesn't make sense otherwise, right? Because you're just like, why do I keep doing this? Even though it's like a simple ask from my partner, right? right? So we have to get curious. We have to understand the context. We need to be willing to bring it forward. And then we have to shift out of self-protection into relational protection. You matter as much as I matter in this moment. Your story is just as, as important as my story and vice versa. And if we can hold that, then we can move through these moments differently. Mm-hmm. But what if like, how do we distinguish if this problem is like perpetual or it's solvable? Like what mm-hmm. if it's just, it's a lost cause for a specific thing? I mean, maybe yeah. it never is, but but what if it is? Yeah. I think John Gottman's research shows that uh, like, I think it's like 69% of uh, issues are like unsolvable ones. Mm-hmm. And so we focus on uh, the ones that that can shift. Yeah, like part of this is about acceptance. You know, it's like we know that in relationship we're, we're not getting tens out of tens in every moment of every day, right? Like that there are immovable things that will be here. And I think, you know, the, the goal probably there is can I get to a place where I can accept what these blocks are, what these limitations are, and like, is the rest of the stuff like meaningful and special and important enough to really supersede that? But it's, uh, you know, I think it's like the stuff that cuts us deep to the core. That's where we have more challenging stuff, like as opposed to uh, like, can you accept that your partner loads the dishwasher differently than you right. do? You know, it's like well, some people are like, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Right? But like most of us would say, yeah, right. Even if I'm like, oh, I don't understand why you do it this way. Can't you just do it differently? Or, you know, one of the ones my, my husband does not like wiping down counters and I like really want him to like wiping down yeah. counters. But it is a tolerable thing for me, even though it's something that I wish would shift. Right. It's like there these are tolerable things. And I think we have to focus on the ones that are like, no, this this hurts me deeply. Right. Right. And like if we can't change some of the stuff that hurts us deeply, right, then maybe we're having a little bit of a different conversation. Right. Or maybe that. it's just that person and not the thing that hurts you deeply. Yeah. Like I have talked about before, I was in a relationship where he never used a coaster and it drove me insane, <laughs> like truly insane. And my husband never use, uses coasters uh-huh. and I don't care at all. Yeah. It's just like you have to really, but it's and if you're in it mm-hmm. at the time, you really do think it's about the coasters. Totally. Like you're not Yeah, you're not aware that it could be the relationship. Right. My last question for you and this one I'm so curious about because potentially, I don't know, maybe we'll be in marriage and family therapy in the coming years. Mm -hmm. 
like what do you think that the issues will be like what trends or changes do you kind of foresee in in the field especially with more and more things like gentle parenting like mm-hmm. are you do you think we're going to see two people come in who both think that they're amazing because they've never been told that anything they've ever done <laughs> as a kid is not okay totally. so then they're not going to be able to be in a relationship right. with each other because right. they're both like no 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 I'm amazing my parents have never yelled at me and the other person's like no 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 I'm amazing. My parents would never yell at me. That's hilarious. I don't know that I've ever thought about it that way. I often will ask parents, like, if your child is on their therapist's sofa in 20 years from now, in what way will they describe you? Um, Which I think is a really beautiful question, but I've never really thought about it in like what issues will be presenting for you know, are now babies uh, 20 decades, you know, decades from now. I think, you know, listen, obviously there's such a shift with our social media. I think we are maybe losing a little bit of our ability to be in complexity and nuance, right? And so we're not able to tolerate certain things and we are very careful in giving feedback. And I think there's sometimes a bit of a fragility around that where you've heard me so far today where I'm like, feedback is so important. It's so necessary. We need to be able to like hold ourselves up and, and hear things. And I think we're losing a little bit of that where we're not able to hear that some, we did something that was upsetting or hurtful to another. But ultimately, I think it's going to be still a lot of the same stuff that we're already dealing with. I think loss of self is big, especially with social media. Curious to see how AI is going to affect a lot of things for us in the you know coming years and coming decades as well. It's like if you don't need to, if everything is really at your fingertips, like like how do you learn how do you know who you are like there's just like a lot of outsourcing that Mm -hmm. I think will will be happening and already is happening as opposed to you know when we were growing up you know we didn't have those things at our fingertips like I'm always shocked when people are like I don't know how to write in cursive (laughs) like wait what you know or like I don't know how to spell because I I always had autocorrect Mm -hmm. right like oh wow like right like these things that we didn't think about at all and I'm like struck by them. But I still think, you know, the main things that we see are intimacy issues, money issues, right? Have like having differences around these things, dealing with, you know, family in laws, uh, and, you know, many just many of the same challenges. But I do think social media, I think AI, I think all of those things will be really fascinating to to really see how it plays out and how people have a core sense of themselves and their ability to, you know, navigate the world and relationships when so much of relationship is now through a device or like, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, it really is. And I, I do think we'll probably see more intimacy issues, especially if we are going to be using AI for relationships. You know, that part really scares me or this idea that you can have an AI girlfriend, you can have an AI boyfriend, you can have an AI partner, you know, like that stuff is happening or you can enter into a VR and, you know, have a you know, sexual experience there. And it's like POV and you feel like you're right there. And how are these things going to affect? We Like we know, maybe we've studied a lot around porn, for example, but we don't have enough when it comes to this. And I think those types of things are things that, 
know, will be strikingly different than, you know, what we see today. So I believe we'll still trend in the same direction with, you know, all of the regular normal issues right. that we, we have today. But I think this idea around, you know, intimacy and, and being able to connect human to human, right? Like to have a conversation with a person, you know, to, to know how to like see your way through that for, you know, an hour or longer. Right? Like, I don't know that people are going to be able to do that that well. And I think, you know, this idea that you can disconnect and then go, quote unquote, connect elsewhere with someone or something, you know, that is not, well, I'll say like real in the way that we understand yeah. it today will be a very interesting That space. freaks me out. I am like in denial of that yeah, happening. Like I've thought about, like, I bet that there will be a time where like therapists will have to train in being able to enter into VR to mm. work with clients who are kind of stuck there, right? who kind of live there. that they're not going to want to have a conversation with a therapist in this world as we know it but the therapist will have to enter you know virtual reality with them and work with them there that's terrifying (laughs) i am so scared of that okay we're going to do some fun rapid fire questions at what age is your earliest memory before two after three or after four after three Mm-hmm. You personally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you live with your significant other, how often do you go to bed at the same time? Never slash rarely, sometimes, often, usually, always. Yeah, almost always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you rather your significant other have ended badly with their ex or amicably? Amicably. Yeah, I don't know why anyone would choose badly. <laughs> <laughs> have your parents moved out of your childhood home? Yes or no? My dad still lives in my childhood home and my mom lives in the home that after the divorce Mm -hmm. that we had. Yes. Mm -hmm. How many close as in hang out solo comfortably female friends Mm. does your significant other have? None. One to two, two to four or four plus. Probably one to two, but -hmm. they don't live close by. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. Do you know anyone who cheated on their partner when they were like boyfriend, girlfriend, let's say, girlfriend, girlfriend, whatever, and now they're married to them, like happily? I know clients who have. Mm -hmm. Do I know anybody personally? That's so interesting. Like, would you say, like, if you had a client that had cheated Uh when they were dating and then they were like, hi, Vanna, or whatever they call you. Yeah, I would would like to propose. Would you be like, oh, God, but you've cheated. It (laughs) depends. No, but it depends on whether it's been reconciled. Mm -hmm. Like it really, really depends on the work that happens there, because I I don't think that once a cheater, always a cheater. Mm -hmm. I think there's a tremendous amount of growth. I think it can be true that Mm -hmm. if you don't look at these things and you don't actually do any work to repair and reconcile like the part of you that's engaged in that, then likely you're going to continue to engage that way. But I've worked with so many people where there's been infidelity and, you know, there is a beautiful growth that that comes from the relationship. So, no, it's not something that would strike me as, oh, my gosh, what are you talking about? But if it's never been spoken about or there hasn't been any resolution around it, then that's that would be some cause for you know, concern or yeah, alarm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't think I have any friends who... Not anybody. That's I think come for in, me, it's out. more like the couples that were young when they got yeah. together, because that's just more common to like totally that behavior when young. Yeah, not that it's okay, but you know, yeah, there's a history there. We're really, you know, we're immature, mm-hmm. and 
Yeah. I mean, it's like there's, we don't necessarily have the tools or the wisdom or the emotional maturity to navigate some of the things that are showing up for us. And yeah, like sometimes it plays out in infidelity and sometimes it plays out in other behavior that, you know, feels immature. And I'm not suggesting that all infidelity is immature, but it's like there's, or maybe like, how do I want to say this? Like there's a, there's a knowing of the self. There's a disconnect from the self. Right. I think, right. Because right? you don't know yourself. Yeah. yeah. Before yeah. you're like 30. It takes probably. us a while. Yeah. <laughs> this has been so fun. Vienna, can you leave us with a quote or piece of advice? Maybe something from the book or just mm-hmm. something that you like to share with clients? Yeah. Oh, I've got so many things. One thing that I've said already today that I think is worth repeating is that you make sense in context. I think that that's really important because sometimes we're so confused. Like, why do I do this? And I can't, I'm so annoyed or I keep making promises to myself that I can't, you know, uphold. And we get very frustrated with ourselves. But I think this like reminder that we make sense in context is so important for us to bring that compassion in. One of the most important questions that a therapist ever asked me and something that I share in the book is when you think back you know, my work obviously is about understanding our family systems and how that stuff is plays out in our adult relationships. And it's certainly not an invitation to like hang out in our past forever. But this idea of, you know, what did I need most as a child and not get? And to really sit with that question and not, oh, everything, I was fine. You know, all our, our, our fine folk probably want to say, oh, I got it, got it all. It was good. But to really answer that question as honestly as possible, right? To begin to tune into what, where, we need to give ourselves attention. Mm-hmm. And then one of the exercises right at the end of the book that is from a psychotherapist, Michael Kerr, that I really appreciate is to think of your mother as your grandmother's daughter and see how the perspective changes. And I think that's a beautiful reminder, again, not for excuse making, not to let anybody off the hook, but this reminder, right? Like, okay, what if I was able to think of you Right. As, you know, your mother's daughter, if I was able to think of this other part, my partner in this way, like what shifts then when I can see you as a tiny human in a complex system? And so maybe I'll sign off with that. I love that. Awesome. Thank you so much. Where can everybody find you? Read your book, yeah. listen to your podcast. Yeah. I'm mindful MFT on Instagram and yeah, pretty much everything that I have going on is is there. But yes, the origins of you, how breaking family patterns can liberate the way we live in love is available anywhere you get your books. And then this keeps happening is uh, my podcast where I speak with anonymous guests about any challenges that they're facing, individuals, couples, patterns, patterns that they're that they're in uh, it's a one hour one time conversation which is really interesting and very different than therapy because I you know strangers and I know nothing about them but it's fascinating and so beautiful to see what can happen when you sit down with someone and have an honest conversation so awesome yeah. thank you so much thank you note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.